you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 250. Oh my God, 250 episodes, Katie Levine. I know, it's so many. Can you believe it? No. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you've you been with us for, what, about 100 of those maybe? Yeah, maybe Holy a shit. bit more now. It's crazy. I don't know, it's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. You're welcome. Special thanks to Katie Levine. Hop on over to the Nerdist channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nerdist for Doctor Who weekend, August 31st through September 2nd. It's all Doctor Who themed programming. Doctor Who bowling, all-star bowling on Friday, uh, Dork Fork featuring the guest who was on this particular episode of the Nerdist podcast, Alton Brown. Also, the Doctor Who Q&A from the premiere screening of Asylum of the Daleks in New York from from this past weekend. Uh, That's going to go up at 10 p.m. following the premiere of Doctor Who. And then uh, Sunday, Just Cause from Gallifrey One, our cosplay show at the Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles. Now, this episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. It is super easy to support the Nerdist podcast. You go to this particular episode's podcast page at Nerdist.com. There's an awesome banner at the bottom, which I believe was designed by Dana Lechtenberg. Am it I not was. correct? Yes. Uh, amazing artist. And then you click through that and you shop as you normally would and buy whatever it is that you normally buy at Amazon.com. What kind of stuff do you buy? Everything. Well, that Movies, books, uh, Now it sounds like you're doing a commercial. No, what do no. you actually buy? I know. I really, I buy a lot of movies, a lot of books. I just rebought um, the Bob Dylan movie, No Direction Home, because I lent it to someone and never got it back. Oh, nice. So I just rebought it. You know what I should get if it's available? I was sitting on a plane coming back from New York today from the Doctor Who premiere, and uh, I could see, I couldn't hear any of it, but I could see a guy was watching uh, this documentary, this this concert documentary, and it looked fucking amazing, and I realized it was the LCD sound system documentary oh, okay. from like their final concerts in New York. At and, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I think it's called Shut Up and Play the Hits. And freaking all of a sudden, Reggie Watts is on stage <laughs> set, jamming with them for thousands and thousands of people. That's awesome. It they're, was they're awesome. Great. So, so <laughs> yeah, so that's something that I would probably buy on Amazon.com. So anyway, super, super simple. Uh, just click through that badge and shop shop like you would. So this episode of Nerds Podcast is Alton Brown, who I've been wanting on the podcast for ages. Um, I'm sure you know Alton Brown from uh, Food Network. Super, super cool guy of like of all of the talent on that channel. He's the one that I always kind of gravitated toward. Tor? He's the one that I gravitated toward. And then I come to find out about a year, year and a half ago, huge Doctor Who fan. 
explains a lot of the bow ties that yes. he wears. <laughs> but a super nice guy, and uh, it's always just been hard to have him on because he's he's based in Atlanta, and uh, we are not. So he's finally uh, in Los Angeles, and we're podcasting him, and we're putting him on Dork Fork, uh, which is our sort of nerd-themed cooking show uh, hosted by Andy and Harrison. And so uh, they're going to make some awesome Doctor Who treats for Doctor Who Weekend this weekend. So here we go. The Nerds Podcast episode number 250 with Alton Brown. Now entering Nerdist.com. Bottoms. Uh, he's got his patch yes. on, and he's yeah. got the bottoms of his wetsuit uh-huh. and a blue double-breasted blazer. Yeah. And I thought, God damn it, man, you are you are hot. <laughs> if I could be if I could be any Bond villain, it would be you because you 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 tortured your mistress and you could wear a double-breasted blazer with a wetsuit, and that's Bell style. Plus, you had sharks in your pool, which was cool. And sharks in your pool. When you yeah. got pissed off, you just fed somebody <laughs> to to the shark. So. I got to, you know, Dr. No didn't, wasn't nearly as much fun yeah. as, uh, as a character. He wasn't as much fun as That's Largo. True. But Dr. No just, it's just, it's the pacing of Dr. No. Is it's, so it's, a, it's a very like good comforting. movie. It's a very good movie. It's structured very yeah. well. Yeah. You know, and it's got great lines. You know, you got Honey Rider saying, are you looking for shells too? And he says, no, just looking. I mean, <laughs> you know, these are great lines. These are great, great lines. But but even I would even say that Timothy Dalton had a good first one because the Living Daylights wasn't bad for the eighties. Yes. Plus the line when he says the yeah, Living I Daylights know. Yeah, I know. kills me. I know. Are you guys bonding over Bond? The Living Daylights out of You're Bond bonding. Well, you know, it's, seriously, I've actually thought about trying to make a documentary about Pete guys who grew up in the in the Bond generation, what it's been like having that as kind of a role model. My that's, first that's memory why I wear this watch. My it's first the, memory on Earth. Is uh, it was actually being in the back seat of my parents' car at the drive-in, seeing Doctor No. My first memory of life is the tarantula crawling up that piece of glass <laughs> oh, wow. on Sean Connery as I as I was back in the little you know cradly thing that they stuck in the back yeah. of their Triumph. Uh, my first memory of life. So I've grown up on. Then my dad died when I was in uh, when I was ten, yeah. and all I did was watch Bogart movies and James Bond movies, and that's what taught me about manhood. They were your, which is why I'm still they bastard. Were your, they were your dad. They were my dad. Basically. Oh my god! <laughs> somewhere somewhere between uh, Bogart and Bond, I uh, that, was, that was the source of my manhood, which is really messed up. It that I mean, explains the uh, coat. I think he's he's got a blazer on today. You look good. You look really good. My ties strictly. I've gone to nothing but bow ties because I've realized that ties just get in your way, and I fly a plane a lot. I fly my own plane, and cables and and harnesses get all tied up. So I just bow ties stay the hell out of the way. Okay, so two things because I want to get back to this. You fly your own plane business, which I didn't know. But am I supposed to be wearing headphones? Because I feel so like half dressed here. No, the headphone jacks over there don't work. All right, fine. The station is slowly starting to disintegrate this equipment, and and until it doesn't work anymore. Fine. and so, uh, but <laughs> who needs it? Um, I just was in Orlando and yeah. I, I got to see my dad. Oh, nice. And he said, "Hey, I'm gonna." My dad was a professional bowler, and he said, "I oh, want to cool. send you, um, I want to send you my first 300 watch uh, from oh. the 60s." And he goes, uh, he says to my stepmother Rebecca, he was like, "It's um, no, it's fancy. What's it called?" Rebecca goes, "It's an Omega." <gasps> so like, it's an Omega from like 1960. No, no, it's a Seamaster 300. It that is? is a very ah. specific. You want that? Okay. It's, it's actually it could be late 60s or you could be early 70s, depending. But it's it's badass. You want it? Okay. And if it's got the uh, the the shark mesh. Um, 
bracelet, which it might, if it's a 300, then that's just awesome sauce. No, it's not a 300 model. It was for his first 300 game in the, oh. in the PBA. All right, I'm so, sorry, because it was a 300 model. No, so, no, it's a 300. Right, well, maybe it was a 300 for a 300. That would make okay. more sense. It would, wouldn't it? My watch is good to 300 meters. Uh, that's what they called it. And the th this, this would have been in the early 60s. Yeah. So it's some sort of a fancy Omega watch that he wants to send me. And I'm like, don't send that in the mail. No. Oh, well, I'll go get it. <laughs> and then we'll never see you again. <laughs> oh, wait, before we get back to how you fly your own plane, uh, Matt, I do have a present for you. Because is, I did. Which, which, which stop on your weekend was this present from? Orlando. Uh -huh. Ratland. Uh, huh? You have a gift from Ratland. <laughs> Look at this, Matt Myra. Wow. Oh, an oh, Apollo t-shirt. All of them. All of the Apollo. 40 years oh. of Apollo. All the mission badges on the back of the shirt. I know it's sweet. not a thing anymore. Even the disgraced Apollo 15. Maybe. But you know what I was excited about, Matt Myra? Is that I got to buy an XL and I knew it would fit you. <laughs> and the 15's not disgraced. That was our finest moment. Well, Did you hear listen. Ed Harris say that? <laughs> <laughs> 15 was the uh, stamp I know, controversy. I know. All right, you're an aviator. Anyway, I didn't know that. I am that. an aviator. So let's. Heck what, yeah, I am. What? How? Do you have a plane? I do. <gasps> it's badass. What do you? Too. What do you have? I have a Cessna 414A, which is a uh, twin-engine pressurized cabin eight-seater. Wow. Oh man, and is it's that super a, sweet. It was built in 1979. Is that She's IFR? Is yes. That, are you IFR oh, rated? Oh yeah. Oh my god. I'm an instrument pilot. Absolutely. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I started flying after my my first uh, book tour. Uh, was in 2000 and well, it was the year after 9/11, and I did like 27 cities on one-way tickets and suffered such in many indignities at the hands of TSA that sure. I said, "By golly, I'm going to learn how to fly my own plane, so I don't have to do this anymore." Oh my gosh, and I did. Do you did. still security check yourself just in case you're tempted to terrorize yourself on the well, plane? Well, I, I make sure that my my firearm is loaded but uncocked. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, I make sure that any bottles of liquor the 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 lid is secured. Sure. Uh, and uh, and you know any large knives that I'm I'm carrying have been you know placed into a careful pocket. You you probably so, slide and let yourself carry up to four ounce bottles of liquids. Whoa, I'm not I'm not really at liberty to deny or confirm. Uh, that no, actually, on my plane we require all liquids be at least five ounces. Oh so wow, it's, that's how we roll. That's opposite yeah. day. It's opposite day on air. So uh, do Alton, you now, air when you book yeah, tour, do you now fly city to city yourself? Uh, the only time that I fly commercial is if I'm flying cross country because it takes me in my plane um, because of headwinds. Usually, yeah. flying to LA takes me about twelve hours. Oh, wow. in my plane. So when I fly out here, I fly commercial, but like up and down the eastern seaboard, never. So you don't mind that you don't mind the the the, the turbo props. You know, I can't afford a turboprop yet. I don't have a turboprop. Oh, I got the, pistons. These are just I have turbocharged piston engines. Okay, cuz I don't I mean, when I was uh, when I was younger, I used to be terrified of flying, and now I like it a lot. I really enjoy it. Good. Uh, I got over it cuz I just realized, well, I'm going to have to fly almost every weekend, Wait, so I better like fucking it? get it. I really do. I do. It's very comforting to me. I get on a plane and I fall asleep. Yeah. I I had a full night's sleep when I went from Orlando to New York. I stayed in New York over the weekend. I had a full night's sleep, and I still slept three hours on the on the way from New York to L.A. So wow. I I genuinely enjoy flying, but I still get kind of weird if I'm like ah turboprop or I don't know. But the prop planes, not that bad. Uh, you know, I, I've been I've, working for a while. I've never had a scare. 
Okay. You know, altitude is your friend, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to be better off in a jet. You just are because jet engines are incredibly reliable and um, you're up above any possible weather. You know, me, I, I got to, at certain times, I got to pick and choose my routes around weather. I have to divert around things. There have been a couple of times where I've like, you know what, I'm just going to land and wait because some giant storm is, is, you know, blowing up in one direction or the other. But we have, you know, onboard weather radar now and with GPSs and things like that, you can't get lost. It's almost impossible to not know what the weather is doing. But, you know, airplanes do break. I mean, there's no question, but they don't do it very often. Right. Uh, very, very rare do planes just quit unless they are not being taken care of. Why are you not doing an airplane show of some type? An aviation show? Well, you know, uh, it could okay. happen. Okay. That could okay. happen. Okay. I, I, would love to, I would love to do that. But, you know, most networks think that uh, aviation shows are way too exclusive because so few people live that life, you know, but... Uh, I guess that's I, true. I think I could work it out. One percent. Uh, I don't actually know what the percentage is. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have no, no idea. My, but, but, and this kind of skews nicely into good eats, but you are definitely a guy, I, I feel like you and I are, are cut from very similar cloths in the way where we just kind of said to ourselves, what is it that we really enjoy doing in life? Now, I want to build my work around that thing I love. Yep. And that's exactly, we had dinner last we night. Um, Darn good, am I? Oh, right? so yeah. good. You haven't been to Izakaya yet. No, oh, it's my favorite sushi. I live on it was third, awesome. Yeah. I, I think I could do that at least three times a week. Easily three times a week. Uh, if, it were, if it were okay to be eating fish three times a week, raw tuna, it's not good, is it? Well, you know, tuna, you want to you wanna not eat as often. We're talking about a large pelagic animal that tends to live a long time and can gather a lot of toxins sure. and mercury in its body. So I try to not do tuna more than once a week, but everything else, yeah. no problem. Yeah. So this was, this was really good. And we actually got a chick cause we've, we've kind of become, we became email pals over the past several months. Um, but uh, hadn't actually met until dinner last until night. Dinner last night. That was a delightful, Were you guys delightful chat. Have butterflies? Well, you know, well, I was a little nervous. Like, I don't know. What if I'm bad at conversation at dinner? Uh, I should have just brought a recorder so I would have felt more comfortable. And I, and I was nervous that he was going to be a bad conversation, too. So that was, <laughs> I had, yeah. But I think it all worked out all right. It did. But I love, you know, um, this thing you said where you, uh, uh, and I hope you don't mind retelling it because I thought it was a really, I think it's great for our listeners to hear, particularly ones who want to create stuff that you were producing television commercials for the longest time and you hated it. Yeah. As a director that was uh, in filmmaker, that was not very rewarding, but I love filmmaking. And I just wanted to find a subject that I could make films about that I was passionate about and could get people to kind of leave me alone. Yeah. And, and that's when I, I started watching uh, cooking shows cause I, I was a big kind of hobbyist cook and decided, Hey, I think I could make a food show. What year is this? Um, I really started thinking about that seriously about, it was 1992 okay. when I, when I, I wrote that, that idea down that I told you, I was sitting in my office office and I wrote down Julia Child, Monty Python, Mr. Wizard and started thinking if I could put all that together in one food show, it'd be really cool because back then food shows, I mean, it was just about recipes. Nobody actually learned anything and they were boring. Right. And, um, you know, after a couple of years of percolation, that's when, um, my wife and I decided to go off and, and chase that. But you know, it's, you got to roll the dice, but you know, like you were saying, you decide what it is you love and then you figure out a way to make a living a, a, around it. But the trick of course is then still staying in love with the subject because it's really easy once you're making a living off of it to not love it anymore. Sure. You know, that's, that's, you gotta, you gotta watch that. Well, and I, but I, but it does, yeah, sometimes it does become a bit of a chore in that sense, but I still think that the true test of whether or not you're doing something you love is that you'll do it anyway. Yeah. No matter what, no matter how much work, no matter how much it beats you up and no matter how like, uh, I slept four hours the last three nights, but still something, there's still some little 
The fire's still there. The little bit of fire. Something yeah. sparks. And so you're like, oh, but I'm still excited to do this other thing next week that I'm going to get to do. So yep. you just never let that one little thing go out. <laughs> That's all it is. That one little you're running flame. around if with your hands out, cupped screwed, around the flame. Yeah, yeah. It's like, don't go amber. out. Please don't go out. Please don't go out. So, uh, so you'd said that you, you were, were you making a, you were doing well in commercial. I mean, if you're, if you're working I in commercials, okay. you're okay. I was doing okay. I made a living, but. I got. I, I lost out on a lot of jobs because I wasn't politically very smart. You know, it's so hard. Commercials are so weird because the um, you know these the, the 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 companies are spending a lot of money and so they have a lot of ego on the line at the yeah. same time and they're generally non-creative people that you're like, oh, you know, uh, Doris over in marketing has this really great idea because they're kidding. You're like, no, please, just let the creative people be creative. And then they they infuse their ideas on you, and then they're not happy with the weird result that they fucked up. Like yeah, it's, it's such a weird. It's it's a hideous system uh, to, <laughs> to to be certain. I wasn't cut out for it. You know, I, I in the end, that's what it came down to. I I just didn't have the the political skills. You know. So you said uh, I'm gonna you quit everything and quit went everything. to culinary school. Yeah, which seemed pretty radical at the time, and there were plenty of. Uh, of days where I was, I was certain that I had completely screwed my entire life up. You and know? what kept you in the game? Uh, well, I didn't have any uh, exit um, strategy. There, there was no, there was no emergency. That's a very compelling uh, reason yeah, to stay in I mean, something. It, it, it's, it's, it's the old burn the bridge behind you thing, and you'll, you're, you're going to stay committed. Um, <laughs> you know, which is a, a paradigm we've seen play out in countless uh, films and TV shows. Um, but then I also had a, a, a wife that uh, um, kept, you know, kept me from from going completely over the just wandering out in the woods and shooting myself, which I, I might have done had it not been so damn cold in Vermont where I was going to school at the time. So the trick is do something you love, but then stay in a cold climate so you can be inside. Stay, yeah, so you will not really shoot yourself. Cold. So you won't wander out in the woods and shoot yourself. <laughs> of course, in the Vermont, in winter, you can just wander out in the woods and just drop dead, uh, yeah, yes. which is also an option. But... Um, yeah, yeah, I, Vermont, I, I Vermont, Maine. There must be there must be a lot of like frozen, <laughs> Cro Magnon style, just people frozen in their farms. That, well, uh, uh, Vermont does uh, thought. It's <laughs> what? Yeah, but uh, for short periods of time. Yeah. yeah, there's like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining. Absolutely, you know, sitting there, eyes straight ahead. You know, with a slight grimace on their. You know, face. he should have gotten to know the mazes a little bit better, yeah, and then that, that would have ended a lot better. Lack of research. So much killing and not enough. Like, how do I get through this maze? Yeah, he was talking to Lloyd too much of the time. Way and too not, much, and not out there learning the maze. And, or maybe Lloyd, who clearly had been there for a while, can be like. Listen, by the way, Mr. Torrance, take uh, a left at the not right, and then you'll be fine. Yeah, that's where the kids love to hide. Learn those mazes. <laughs> by the way, he could have saved us from Shelley Duvall <laughs> for, for all time if, if he had. If you uh, get through the that. maze, I'll give you a beer. Like also, that would have motivated him. That ugly naked lady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that <laughs> that's how I feel. I you know I tried to craft this into a joke once, and I was never able to. But but just the idea of like. Partying all the time, it feels like Jack Nicholson meeting that woman when he first goes into the room, but usually it ends up of what happens after he finishes hugging her, and then she's just that carved up old lady with the saggy boobs. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that. that's, that's not really funny. No. Uh, but it is scary. Well, then I start crying at the end of it. Uh, oh! <laughs> well, that, that is funny. <laughs> Okay, you didn't say that. You didn't play that right. <laughs> so when did you pitch? When did you pitch Good Eats? That was, was that the first show that you pitched? Yeah, um, I, I I went and uh, I, I wrote when I graduated from culinary school. I went and I wrote the first uh, two episodes, and I, I went to uh, some folks that I knew back in Atlanta where we had made commercials who were in the film business and had money. 
um, and and I pitched it to them. And uh, like I, I I told you last night, they immediately said they would cut a check for the pilot episodes, but the the um, caveat was that I had to be the host, which was not in my plan. I did not plan to be the host of the show. Who did and you think so should host it? I didn't know, but it sure as heck wasn't going to be me. They'd figure it and, out. Uh, yeah, well, I figured uh, I'll find somebody. I wasn't going to worry about that too much. And then I thought, all right, all right. I said no, and then I went back and said yes, but it was like, but only for the pilots. We'll find a professional. When the, we'll find a professional later. Yeah. And, and I'll just write them and, and direct them. And then, you know, I did the pilots and that was kind of it. But Food Network did, wouldn't even look at them for a year uh, because at the time they produced everything in house. They hadn't commissioned, they hadn't commissioned any programs at that point. So it was literally a year. And, and it was a weird kind of twist of fate. We had shot our pilot episodes on film because we didn't know video, we knew film. And we were using a, a relatively new aspect ratio that uh, Eastman Kodak was all hot about, which was called Super 16, which was sure. being originated to uh, get more frames on less film, uh, specifically for tr um, um, going to high def, going transfer to high def. And so we shot our first two pilots on that, and, um, and Eastman Kodak decided they liked it so much they wanted to put some of it on their website. And this was before streaming video. I mean, wow. it was, you know, really kind of primitive, but they slapped it on there, and a, a program executive from... Uh, Food Network happened to go by the Kodak Eastman website and saw these clips of Good Eats. The and internet called works. Us up the next day, the internet worked. Wow. Hey, I saw your pilot. Uh, yeah, you've had it for a year. <laughs> Let's not get bogged it down took with me technical that long terms to download the video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. I was, I was like, <laughs> he started downloading it the year. <laughs> it, was a, it was a six month download uh, back then, which was and megabytes. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, hey, Alton, we're at twenty eight eight here. Come on, man. Yeah. What are you doing to us? Yeah. Well, it was long enough ago to where we had sent the tape on VHS. So, oh. you know, that's that's the way wow. that went. Oh, that's... that's Ancient history. That's just... That's, Ancient history. Oh, television. Just television yeah. in general. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, I, I've, I've had a lot of fun uh, television experiences recently where I pitched a show, like a, a show that, I, that is already on YouTube, that we're already doing on YouTube, and pitched it to a television guy, and uh, he was like, ah... I don't think people will rewatch that. And I was like, oh, have you seen the show? And he went, no. I'm like, but you haven't even seen it yet. How do you, why, why do you control television? It's all about rewatchability. It is. Apparently. It is. Uh, but, no, that's just a word that sounds good. It's just, how can you, how can you, it's just like, how can you make a pilot and then not watch it for a year? How can you say a show is not rewatchable if you've never seen it once? And you don't, like, it's just... Because it's how you pitched it. And they don't care what the product actually looks like. They only care about what the pitch sounds like. So it was very similar to my Jack Nicholson old lady joke if yeah. I had crafted that better. Yeah, or started crying. Or right. started crying. So here's the show. Oh, my God. Yeah, there we'll, you go. we'll take it, please, please, please. Or what would have been better is if you said, yeah, it's really working on digital, but you know, this would never work on television because then that would just, that's, that's the, uh, Tom Sawyer oh, with the white picket yes. fence thing. It'd be like, oh, well, yeah. why not? You know, we could do this. Then, then, then he has an opportunity to show you how clever he is. Oh, that's a good he idea. He could work that out. And then my, me and my friend Huck will hop on a raft and float down the river yeah. and make a show. Okay. I, th I, I want more people. I wrote about this a little bit in my book and, and it makes me happy that, I, that I may not have been wrong, but just the idea that the more things that people uh, are interested in, the more things that make them specifically them, like you said, Monty Python and Julia Childs and, and Mr. And Wizard, Mr. Yeah. Wizard, you know, the more things people can mash up, the more that sort of define, you know, who they are, like what their specific interest point is. Mm -hmm. 
and then sort of follow that thing, the more unique they'll become. It's very similar to finding your voice as a stand-up as well, where you, you, you completely wipe out other competition by getting super granular and specific about, about what that thing is that, that you love. Sure. And I think it's a very valuable lesson because, you know, you, you said last night when you first told people you want to do, they laughed at you. And, and I see that as like, aha, that means it's a good idea because nobody's done no it. No one's and done it yet. It seems yet. absurd to you. Exactly. And that's why you have to fucking go out and prove that it, it's a, that it, it will work. And that's, that's exactly what you did. I, I think that when people laugh at you when you tell them the idea, that, that is definitely, definitely a marker for further exploration because into the concept. Because if they have no reaction, then maybe it's just like, eh, maybe I'll try something else. But if it's a strong reaction like, oh, that is ridiculous, that means that it, it, it sparks something in them, but they just can't, they lack the vision to see it working. Yep. Yep. And so you have to make that real. I'm, I, I, that's it. And that's exactly what you did. I mean, like you, your show not only had sciencey elements and food elements and, but there were sketch comedy elements and character elements. I mean, it was it, curated. I mean, it, it's, then that's what really you're talking about. You know, when you look at all the things that influence your life and you curate that and focus it into a, a new, hopefully something that's new, you yeah. know, um, I, because it would be very easy to just take all the things you like and make a derivative. Yeah. But if you really melt it down and, and, and kind of treat it with your own uniqueness, then you can, you can make it into something that didn't exist before. Yeah. Something that's really new. How was the, how was the Iron Chef experience? They, you know, it's funny. Iron Chef, uh, they called me up in, uh, Food Network called me up. Food ne- uh, Good Eats had already been on for, I guess we were in about our fifth, fifth year. Yeah, they called me up during season, season five and said, um, we're, we're going to do um, an American version of Iron Chef. We'd like you to replace William Shatner. And well, <laughs> and that was another network. That was, know, UPN, that was UPN or whatever. But they, they did tell me, you know, I'm, first off, I said we can never discuss that. We can never discuss the William <laughs> Shatner version. That can never, that can never actually come up. So you, you can't say, but, "Welcome to Iron Chef." I'm not William Shatner. I'm not William Shatner. No. <laughs> William Shatner um, played the chairman role essentially. Yes. But I was told that I could have one of two roles. I could either be the chairman, mm-hmm. or I could be uh, the uh, the Doctor Hitori character, the yeah. the commentator. And I was like, "Why would I want to be the chairman? The guy takes a bite of something and then." stalks around for an hour. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. So um, I took the Hattori, uh, the Hattori role. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it was a real challenge because it's really, you know, it's an hour competition. We don't stop the clock for anything. Um, and it's calling a, it's a sports cast, you know, is essentially what it is. When, and, uh, and when are we going to replace your monitors? You have two 30-inch Apple monitors. They're going to go pretty soon. Well, you know, we're saying. on a budget. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd love something bigger. But... Why do you have to make me feel bad? I don't know, Al, but I just felt... I was watching it last night, and I was like, well, this, those monitors are really... Matt, we're still using those monitors? Matt, Matt, Matt's, Matt was, an, was an Apple genius. You don't have any freaking monitors. Whoa! Whoa this is audio. <laughs> oh! I just have that's two. It. I just have two. Left and right. You don't have any monitors. You don't have any monitors. <laughs> the best comeback. Wait, what do you mean, th- replace it? You don't even have one monitor. Have you don't have a monitor. I have three upstairs. <laughs> and what size are they? Not, they're not huge. There, huh? It's my laptop and a couple other ones. So shut the fuck up. Judge not ye <laughs> monitors, lest ye monitors be, be judged, judged. <laughs> sir. Huh? I'm going to put it in order for, for bigger monitors right stinking away. Um, <laughs> well, I had a, I had high hopes for uh, that whole uh, Surface yeah. system, but it's no. like most things that Microsoft does, not really cool and not really going to happen. Um, that's just the way it is. Or I could like have a wall of just iPads, I guess, and just do something like that. But in, anyway, 
Um, no, it's all, it's all right. You brought me coffee, so you're still okay. Um, <laughs> now go get me a croissant. You got it. Okay, now stay there. Um, so it, for me, that it's, it was actually really, it continues to be a really tough job because I have to know everything that could possibly come out on, onto a counter. If a chef gets it out, I have to know what it is, which means they can bring like $500 worth of their own ingredients every day. Mm -hmm. And so every morning I've got to get there early enough to go through and see all of their stuff so that I'm never surprised by anything. And so I can always know what's, you know, what's what. So yeah, it's, it's actually pretty tough. Pantry that they have yeah. There's, there's a pantry that we provide them yeah. that's there on set. Then they get to bring a certain amount of their own stuff, but they have to check it in. Right. Uh, with the culinary department, because the culinary department, if you know, has to approve it. Like there are certain things you can bring, certain things you can't bring, certain things you have to make during the body of the show, certain things that it's okay to pre-make. You can't put marijuana in things. You cannot, in no. fact, put no. marijuana in, in anything. And I'm not going to name names, but that has been attempted. Are you serious? Uh, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I will not say uh, who did that. Anyway, so I've got to, to get there and make sure that I know everything that's gonna, that could possibly hit the counter so that I can identify it and, and know what it is. And in the early days, that was tough because guys like Morimoto, I mean, the dude's got 13 kinds of kelp. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm like, oh, crap, it's some green stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that is. Um, so, you know, when you do two battles a day, which we do, we do two full shows a day, um, you, it's, it's, a, it's a long day. Man. Wow. And so Good Eats is, are, is done now? You did, the, you did the last episode I, I've in put, I've put February? Good Eats into cryogenic holding. Okay. I'm not saying it's gone. I didn't shoot it in the head. I didn't kill it. But, but after 13 solid years of production, I needed a break. I understand. Because, that, you know, you write it, you, you produce it, you direct it, it, it. It eats your life. Well, yeah, because you're, you're involved at every stage of the, the process. Yeah. It's sort of like um, sort of like how, you know, Flight of the Concords turned down a, a third season on HBO. And everyone's like, how could they not do another show? Like, because they have to write everything. Then they have to shoot everything. Shoot everything. And then they have, have to, to edit, edit everything, everything. And that's pretty much their entire year right there. And so when you do that year in, year out, you probably just get a little like, I need a little break. You just need a break. I mean, yeah. we, we managed to do about 22 episodes a year. And wow. that was all we could manage. Jeez. Wow. 22 episodes a year That's because the research time, the recipe testing time, you guys are like Mythbusters. Time. You're just sort of constantly in production. We, we right? did it. Well, you know, those guys managed to because it's done. They're not scripted. They they can actually stay in production 50 freaking weeks a year, right. um, which is practically what they do. Because we were scripted, we had we were cyclical. We we did in three batches a year. Gotcha. So that there, we'd be you know research development and writing and and, and um, recipe development and then shoot, you know seven or eight yeah. and then, and then do it, do it over again. But it would still take us three days to shoot just one episode. So, you know, it was a long, long burn. Oh man. Wow. Was there any, uh, any kind of dish where you were like, this is going to be great. Oh shit. This didn't turn out to be great. What was it? What's what's been your most challenging, you know, there, there weren't, there were a couple of those where to do something right turned out to be something that Food Network thought nobody would do and was too much trouble. Like, we actually invented this amazingly cool device that you could build yourself for $75 from the hardware store that would allow one person to cook a whole pig uh, in, like, outside in their, in their yard. A flamethrower? And, and no, it, it didn't involve a flamethrower, hmm. although we do have something kind of like that. Um, and, and when I finally figured out that this was perfect, and I told Food Network I was going to do it, they were like, uh, No. Because no no one no one's going to do that. So that that happened one time that with the pig. Otherwise, they left me alone. But the, the only ingredient that ever beat me for a while was avocado. Avocados beat me for almost three years because I'd be like, okay, we're going to do an avocado show this year. Okay, we're going to make guacamole, and then we're going to make 
Guacamole we're sandwiches? Gonna make guacamole and then we're going to make guacamole cake. I couldn't get it because nobody, nobody cooks it, right? right? And so I would shelve it. And then finally, at the third year, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be beat by this. So I actually sat down and said, okay, I'm just, we're just going to analyze not avocado, but what avocado is made out of. And once we got our heads around the fact, well, mostly this is a monounsaturated fat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to treat it like a fat. So we ended up making avocado frosting, avocado ice cream, and oh, avocado butter. How was it? It's awesome. Uh, avocado butter sounds really good. Actually, the coolest thing is avocado ice cream. Wow. The avocado ice cream is awesome. And we got the idea for the frosting because I remember my daughter coming home. She was like six at the time, came home from a birthday party, having eaten this um, birthday cake with green frosting, and her mouth was stained green for like three days. Yep. <laughs> and I thought, I, man, somebody should come up with a green frosting that doesn't do that. And I was like, hey, wait a second. As you were munching on an avocado. Wait a second. Yeah, then you right. have that house moment, uh-huh. that Greg house moment yep. where you're like, oh, oh. oh. And then you realize it's not lupus, and then you make It's not your... lupus. It's actually leukemia, but a very rare type of leukemia. That's right. Yeah. Have been killing them is making them worse. Right. Yeah, that's right. And it's because they did some sort of a weird thing like used too much deodorant. Just something that you never would have realized. Well, it was roll-on deodorant roll instead on of dry, deodorant. and that's yeah. what did it because of the, uh, yeah, surficant that's involved. Yeah. That's right. You realize exactly that when right. the tennis ball rolled across the floor. Oh, God, won't he? Yeah. Oh, and then Cuddy comes in and mucks up the words. I, I also, I wanted to do an episode of Good Eats that was a takeoff on House that was just me solving foodborne illness. That's uh, a great sickness. idea. You know, oh, did I you? think that's a great whole other show. Uh, yeah, but there are only so many that you can do. You know, there's only so many diseases that you can can go into. But yeah, I thought that would be fun. And then I started thinking about making, I'm actually working on a puppet show right now that's about foodborne illness called Let's Get Sick on Food, <laughs> which is all about things you can do to, to guarantee that you contract certain uh, horrible. Let's just back up for a second. Okay. A puppet show. Puppet show. About yeah. foodborne illness. Yeah. I'm in. It's, it's, you know, we, we puppets were a mainstay on, uh, on Good Eats for um, a, a lot of years, you know, sock puppets, all kinds of puppets. And I, I can't get them out of my head. You shouldn't. Uh, because puppets are awesome and you don't have to pay them. Uh, you know, you have to build them, but then yeah. you can put them in a suitcase well, we, and forget about them. You know, so. our, one of our, Henson Company is one of our channel partners and, and, but, but, and working with puppets is surprisingly expensive because... You're like, oh, it's a guy who puts a puppet. And you're like, no, 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 no. There are puppets, there are pu- puppet wranglers to make sure the puppets are kept intact. There you have to yeah. build the sets the different yeah. ways. And That's shoot if them. you do it right. Okay. <laughs> I'm not really talking <laughs> about that. You're doing I'm, it I'm to Syphil and Ollie style. I'm talking about making puppets out of whatever happens to be around. Avocado? And, and, yeah, mm-hmm. Sure. We can make a, an avocado into a puppet lickety split. But I'm talking about, you know, all broken down Barbies and, you know, all, all kinds of manners of things held together with oh, tape. Oh, nice. And, and like wire. robot chicken style. Yes. Nice. That's except without the the stop motion mouths. There are other ways of doing it. Oh man, I'm very excited to see that show. Is it just is it going to be anywhere? Or is it something you're playing with at the moment? I'm, I'm we're we're in development. Okay, I, it doesn't have a home yet, but I'm working on it. You're sort of a mad scientist. Of, I mean, food is definitely an element, but I just feel like for you in particular, it's it's just a palette of it's it's just a medium that you work in. Well, because everything connects. Through food, so much connects through food. You know, anthropology, science, art—you know, human everything. It's a switchboard, and so it just happens to be the switchboard that I that I happen to plug into the most. It's a universal language. It is universal language. It's the only thing that we all have in common. And in fact, when people ask me, you know, how in the heck is it that there's a network all about food that manages to thrive, you know, in this day and age? And I say, because look at us. 
everything about culture and society has, has allowed us to fragment and, and break into microgroups. There's nothing that holds us together as a universal, you know, even, even in America, you know, the things that held Americans together 50 years ago or even 30 years ago yeah. don't, don't exist anymore. So the only thing that really holds us all together is food. Mm-hmm. It, that's about it. We don't have a lot anymore. So it's important. everyone poops, but I feel like that'd be a bad network. Uh, until, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the poop network would be a very much a niche or kind of thing. Is it just the reaction you're having because no one's done it yet? This is a great idea, uh, guys. I'm quitting everything and starting and starting poop TV. the uh, Scatology channel. Yes, exactly. Um, the Scat the TV. Of, uh, Scatology. Scat, Scat TV. Scat. Scat TV. <laughs> Why are we not doing this right now? Oh, that's right, because I still want to work again later on in life. Yeah, later on in life. Um, I we we sort of initially, uh, but what's so fun about Twitter and social media is that is that people who who kind of know who you are and what you're into try to like pair you up with other people that know that they know or into that thing too. So yep. you know, maybe like a year ago, people were like, "You should talk to Alton Brown. He loves Doctor Who as well." And it, and you really do love. Do- I mean, like you, I, I think you love it. As I much do. as I do, I do. You're you're so you're so in in I, into I the am. who. I I yeah. It's pretty, I wouldn't have admitted it. I wouldn't have probably been bold enough to admit it. Say two or three years ago. Really, I was a closet Whovian. Okay, okay. Uh, because there wasn't you know there wasn't a real movement. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, the resurgence. Well, since the relaunch, really, you know, right. has, has made that a a cool show again. Um, but yeah, I wasn't breaking out my you know, my, my long striped scarf, you know, on a regular basis, uh, and, and putting that on. But, but like I told you, you know, my, my daughter got, got seriously into it is in, in, in really, really deep into it. And that's allowed me to kind of come out of my, uh, my Whovian TARDIS. I was so charmed by the idea that you said at your daughter's school a few years ago that kids started wearing fezes to school. Yeah, like they, fezes. that's really awesome. That makes yeah. me so happy. That yeah. makes me that for our youth, that that gives me hope. Yep, there are some good ones out there. Yeah, somebody started a uh, Doctor Who club, and they started meeting after school and and watching episodes, and they would jump around different doctors, and then they started getting together after school in homes, and of course, being able to buy uh, so many of the shows on on iTunes and get access yeah. uh, to them. What we need now is we need uh, new release sets of of earlier uh, shows because some of them are still kind of hard to to get. You yeah. know, uh, the the really early years. Um, although there must, there must be, there must be some massive box set someplace that's like the entire fifty-year mm, series. Them, Are they releasing? They a... release them singly, like with like three episodes per disc of the ones that they have. Well, a lot of the early okay. episodes yeah, are just gone. gone. Yeah, they don't Forever. exist anymore. Like uh, well, the Second needed, Doctor, they I know is to reuse that tape. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, look, you know that one inch. <laughs> Which is uh, exactly tape, what so. happened to the original footage of Apollo Eleven. Oh. NASA needed to reuse the tape <laughs> to to record. Oh well. One life to live. Well, that's the, yeah. That's the only. So the only footage we have is of the actual of the news piece. Like in five and counting down in ten nine. <laughs> How could you leave me for Mona? <laughs> I'm the chief administrator of this hospital, and you'll stay in your place. It's always like, a hospital. Yeah. It's always a hospital. So, it's got so much drama. They taped soap operas over the original tape. I love the idea that everything was just. And you can't blame them. They just, you know, it was it, we. It was basically the precipice of a media revolution. They had no idea that anyone rewatchability. They had no idea that anyone would ever care about those things again because their heads were still in theater space. So they're like, oh, you watch something, you know, once and you got it. You know, you don't know who's going to watch, watch it, it again. again. What, what are you talking about? Like they just had no idea 
so much television hit, so much just gone because they didn't know. Well, you know, the word reruns used to be a dirty word. You know, oh, we're, re- we're in reruns. Yeah. You know, you didn't think about watchability. <laughs> it's like one of the, we designed Good Eats to be so dense that you would have to like view it four or five times to get everything in an episode because we knew that, 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 that evergreen watchability. Evergreen, ever, evergreen be, is a very yeah. strong buzzword in the television industry, meaning very big. to anyone who doesn't know, it basically just means that it is not bound by any specific time period. That's right. You could watch that episode any year and it would still be relevant. Yep. You'd and, still be able to get something and, out of and it. And that's, you know, um, good eat shows from 10 years ago, rate as well as, um, is, is, is later shows because we tried to make them look timeless Yeah. and, and give them a, a, a feel that wasn't dated. Yeah. So what, what is it that you, so you're working on this, you're working on the puppet show, uh, or you're, you're developing this, that you're developing the puppet, the foodborne illness puppet show, which I'm, does it have a name? You not say it? No, it, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a name yet. It doesn't have a name. I, we've been calling it let's get sick on food, but that's code. That's code. That's code for something else. Yeah. Oh. That's code. How about license to illness? License to ill. Yeah. Or license, license, yeah. license to um, ill. I'm revoking your license. The Yeasty Boys? Yeah, license revoked. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. What's yeah. wrong We're with that? Switching back into Bond. We can't yeah. do that. Damn We're crossing it. the beams now in a, in a bad way. <laughs> but yeah, I got that going on, and uh, I'm working on a, um, uh, a new show um, for, for Food Network called Food Files. Uh, that is going to be a uh, kind of a funky investigative show that, that ponders such questions as why the heck can anybody stay on a diet? And why do we like things that taste bad? Why? Uh, why? And, you mean taste that are bad for us or just taste? No, it's like... How do you develop a flavor? Coffee tastes like crap. Right. Okay. Let's just face it. Uh, and yet we um, culturally develop tastes for things that don't actually taste good. I think it's like the first time when you're a little kid and your dad gives you a sip of beer and you're like, this is disgusting. disgusting. And then later on, you're like, I can't Ooh, live without, without this. That. Yeah. And it's eight o'clock in the morning and I have to have one. That's yeah, right. That's the, that's the slippery <laughs> because slope. I'm uncomfortable because in public and I know everyone's staring at me. Yeah. So I have to numb my emotions. It's sort of that kind of transition. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Which happens with a lot of things. What is that? Is it is it that we is it that we emotionally anchor to food, or is it or or do we literally grab our taste buds by the scruff and say, no, you're gonna like this? Well, there's actually a lot of uh, a lot of different examples, you know. And one of that particular episode is going to look at acquired tastes and when they're culturally relative, meaning that you and I are bound and have a relationship because we like this thing that tastes like crap, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, an example would be, um, you know, certain um, Native Americans in Alaska who really do like to take a salmon and bury it in the ground until it rots and then take it out and eat it. Uh, for one thing, they, they like the community that that forms, uh, but then they can also develop a taste to like it, even though it tastes like what it is, which is a rotten fish. Do they cook so, it? No. How did they not get no. ill? Um, if it ferments enough, yeah. nothing can then live nothing on can it. live in it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's yeah this is kind of like kimchi. Um, so there are a lot of instances of of that, but then there are also strange medical related uh, versions of that, like pregnant women eating um, cigarette ashes, which has been documented as a a search for trace elements, and it actually happens. Women will get it. Certain women, when pregnant, get an overwhelming desire to like just eat. Ashtrays. I love when people get to the point where they just behave like robots because their brains are wired in a certain are way. Are looking for something yeah. in particular. Uh, need uh, the parts. Uh, Require I, parts. I need tungsten. Yeah. <laughs> but it happens. I mean, you know, a certain vitamin or a certain, you know, people have that, you know. or So there are genetic reasons. Uh, there are social reasons. Uh, there are interpersonal reasons. All kinds of reasons that people get these acquired tastes. And why can't people stay on diets? 
why can't people stay on diets is a really good freaking question. Um, and there, there's no easy answer for it. But we're doing one whole show that's just investigating diets. The neat thing about Food Files is that um, a third of the show is going to look at uh, something in the past. And then a third is going to look at it in the present. And then a third of it's going to look at it in the future. So like a diet show is going to look at the history of diets and the kind of the whole concept, yeah. where we are now and what the answer is in the future. That way you get to have historians talk about things as well as people that don't know, you know, about the history, but think they know about the future. So it's going to be kind of a cool time machine. I would love the data the points on how much, how much of eating is physiological and how much is emotional. If you plotted my, my, my dieting through the year, let's say, let's say, let's go with a year and a half. Every time there's a Comic-Con that spikes, I go off the diet. Well, because you're under a lot of stress. Horrible. And then uh, I have to get back on, like, I usually get back do you on think right it's as, Do you think it's as simple as that, ev that, that you know, everyone has, I mean, I, it's, I have this idea that, that our bodies and our minds have, like, we have weak points, whatever they are. Like, my, ba my lower back used to go out all the time, and it would happen when I was stressed, and, it happen, and, it just, and I just felt like... Okay, so whenever I'm super, super under a lot of pressure, the weakest point just gives. And maybe emotionally that's what happens. And so do you think there's anything to it? I don't know. Maybe you just like King Don's too damn much. Yeah, right? That's probably it. I wasn't able to lose weight. I lost 50 pounds a few years ago. Yeah. And um, I wasn't able to do it until I actually permanently gave up certain things. Like to look at a few things and say, I am not ever going to have you again. Mm -hmm. I gave up Diet Coke. Okay. which I was addicted to, and yeah. which I truly believe it tells your brain, it's, it's even more insidious than sugar, because it tells your brain that you require a certain level of sweetness constantly, yeah. which I think is actually worse than sugar. And I, I gave it up forever. I never had another one again. And I also do not drink milk, because milk was my evil friend that told me to do bad things. It told me, you know, I had a friend in high school that like, yeah. oh, come on, man. Come on, let's go out. A little bit of milk. Milk did that to me. Milk was like, hey, let's go get those Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> you and me. Come on, man. We can do that. Come and on, I, milk. Realized, Leave me alone, man. And I, and I yeah, well, that was it. I realized that milk was, was a bad influence on me. And so I quit drinking milk, and I kept quit having it around. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I didn't want the Girl Scout cookies at, right. at 2 in the morning. Oh, that's and interesting. So, so it's not just that about... That was a trigger for me. It's not, it's not just about... The food itself. The food itself. It's about it's about the the other things that yes. it, it drives you to. Yes, the because evil it made me do. Oh yeah, because I guess that makes a lot of sense because your body probably has a certain stasis that it wants to achieve, and if you kind of raise one level, it's going to want to raise another level yeah. of something else. So you got to identify those and then get the heck rid of them. That's really interesting. It's sort of like an associative, it. like associative dieting. Don't eat yeah. this, so you won't eat that. So you won't eat that. Oh, that's always look for the, don't don't always you know the evil one is not always the thing you're eating. It may be the some side thing. What that, do that I have going. to give up so I can just eat bread? You just want to eat bread? <laughs> you know what? White white is just bad. I feel like white, white, white if, if you want if you want to bad. just eat bread, you'll have to give up pants. Uh-huh. I'm listening. <laughs> I know white bread is so bad. And I you it's know it white, white battle, in general. it was battle bread last night on this guy's show. I was like, come on. Oh All the bread. Some people can't. You know, bread's just by and large bad. Yeah. And delicious. It's bad to eat. Well, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah. Why do we love things that are bad for us though? Why do we crave shitty food? This is something that no one has worked out. And there are think tanks pondering this question all around the world. It's like no one, no one craves broccoli. You find one person that craves it. And I will find, I will point and say, liar. 
because <laughs> or you're not from this planet because nobody does. Uh, do I like broccoli? Yeah. Why, yes, I actually do. But do you crave it? Mm-mm. No, 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 you do not. I, I truly believe that we this 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 goes back to the tree of knowledge and Adam and Eve. We only crave that which we should not have <laughs> because we very rarely crave things that are really good for us. Now, there are a few, few exceptions like sushi. You and I had sushi last night. I actually crave sushi. Well, that, that well, Izakaya sushi I crave. Izakaya sushi is, is really awesome and I crave it um, and that is not universally bad for you, but I do crave it. Um, but then there's rice involved and that's a white starch, so maybe that's the trigger. I don't know. Well, there's also, I mean, boy, that spicy tuna on crispy rice. Oh, my God. The textural, everything about it's perfect. Hot, cold, you have the rice. Crispy, and chewy, it's, oh, sweet. It's, oh, it's the perfect meld of everything. But nobody ever wakes up in the middle of the night and sneaks into the kitchen for that one last bite of broccoli. <laughs> no, no one does. He's it's right. not going to happen. It's got to be something that is essentially calls to some other part of us. And, and that's, you know. Maybe... Some alien race is programming us to eat the starchiest, fattiest foods so we'll get super sedentary and easy to take over as a planet. There, this, but this is a Doctor Who storyline. This is an adipose storyline. <laughs> well, the adipose were made of fat that just came off. All right, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. It is interesting, if, though. If, I, if, if I uncover that... We'll go with it. Why do I have to crave chai lattes? I, you know, I don't have just, any. Do you crave chai lattes? Crave, and I and I don't. I don't do anything else. Literally nothing else. I don't. I don't do anything. Like chai lattes are it for me. Like that's my only thing. But they're so bad for you. You want to know something? You know the one thing that I know you can do to your body that will change what you crave and when you crave it. Do I have to get pregnant? No. Okay. You must attain muscle mass. I, I work out a lot. Muscle mass. you got to put on muscle. I, I have. I mean, I'm not going to get all carrot on. top about it or Joe Piscopo, but I do. You're I not going to use it to make up for things you're lacking, in other words. Uh, <laughs> like talent. Um, no, but I, my cravings, I put on about 25, about 20 pounds of muscle uh, during the time that, that I was dieting up to now. And all my, my cravings have changed because of that. Interesting. It's like I crave nuts. I never used to crave nuts. I mean, nuts are okay, but I never like, shit, I want me some almonds. And I, and I do now. Can you eat? Because I, I have to eat slightly roasted almonds. I, 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 can't, I just can't eat raw oh, almonds. Roasted a little and like, salted. Yeah, yeah. Do not give me unsalted nuts. <laughs> I want my nuts. Sir, I want my nuts salty. I need my nuts salty. Yeah. These nuts be salty. Yep. Yeah, the, you got to uh, have them salty. Why do I constantly, when I'm on the treadmill or elliptical, why do I always watch the Food Network? Someone tell me that. I'm um, always watching it. You know, I've heard that a lot, and it worries me. Yeah. Do you, do you have any restaurants? No, I wouldn't no. own a restaurant. I'd put a gun in my head. Really? How come? Because it's, it's, it's just, you know what? Restaurants, uh, the, the best, I don't have enough money to have a restaurant. Okay. Um, you know, I, it's, it's a fantastic lifestyle for people who uh, lean towards suicide, divorce, and alcoholism and sure. drug use. I, I just, it's, it's not something <laughs> What is so I'm hard about the doing. restaurant? Bit? Like, what is it specifically that makes it so hey, You never worked in it? No. Mm-mm. No. It's, um, it is a, a life unlike any other life that I know of. The, the restaurant world, the, the, the work, the, the energy flow, everything about it is unique and, um, and somehow damaging. I mean, there are people that can thrive in it, uh, and I've lived in it, and, and it was fine. I'm glad I did it, but I would never, ever dream of doing it again. Oh, wow. Never. It's, it's, it's highly destructive. And for somebody like me who's a control freak, I'd never be able to do it because I'd have to be there all the time. Oh, right. I mean, I know some pretty balanced, well-adjusted folks that do it really well. You know, and Bobby Flay is a pretty okay guy and seems to manage it 
really well. But you know what? Bobby Flay goes to every one of his restaurants that he can get to every single night. He goes from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant. Oh, so that, uh, that's his life. It's his life. You know, I mean, he manages and to have a family, Mexican too. spiced but... red pork tenderloin is fucking great. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. And of course, the great thing about Bobby is he knows what he does, and he knows what he does well, and he does it. There you go. I don't and, think... Uh, and he, he, he rarely tries to do it anything that he does badly. Yeah, I guess if you do, probably... <laughs> I mean, you know, you have a daughter, you watch Doctor Who with her. That probably wouldn't happen if you owned a restaurant because you wouldn't be home. No, I wouldn't be home. No, I, I no way. No way would I would I be home. Unless I was just, you know, ran it and put my name on it. But I see I couldn't do that. I'd be there monkeying in the machine room with it every single day because I'm a freak that way. It's good to know that, that that's one of your limitations, though. Yeah. To know not to put yourself in that sort of a situation. The, the only way that I would ever own a restaurant is if it was something in a place that I really wanted to be. It's like I could own like a little pizza place at a beach. Like I could retire to that and I would just fixate over pizza. Yeah. Pizza crust. Or I could own a coffee shop where all I did was fuss with with that. But I'd be a lot more likely to own a business that made something. Like this, the thing that's seductive to me, um, I shot last year, one of the last episodes of uh, Good Eats was an hour special about chocolate. And I shot at this little uh, uh, family-owned chocolate plantation on the big island in Hawaii. And they, they grow everything there and they make their chocolate there. And by the end of it, I was like, I want this place. I, I will stay here and I will be, I'll be Willy Wonka and make chocolate. I'll just, I'll pick beans, roast beans, make chocolate. Lick walls. And I will make lickable wallpaper and everlasting gobstoppers. And, and then when the children are bad, I'll say, good day to you, sir. Um, <laughs> and then are, are the Hawaiians the Oompa Loompas? I don't well, know I would, if they I have... would enslave them and make them and, and breed them small. I don't know if they have enough letters in their alphabet to sing the Oompa Loompa songs, though. That could be well, a real problem. They could say Oompa. I guess they could, yeah. And they could say Loompa, mm-hmm. but they're... Yeah, diddly dee, you'd be gone. Yeah, yeah. Not that. It would have to be umahama hama sumahumahama. You'd be gone. Or something like that. Anyway, I could do that because then it would be, um, I, I could fixate on, on just that, that one thing. And doing something like making chocolate's pretty seductive, actually. Yeah, I, I went to, um, uh, I shot a thing a couple of years ago for the, for the web where I went up to this, uh, this chocolatier in Seattle. Uh, what uh-huh. was her name? Damn it. She, oh, um, she makes really famous, like, really high-end famous chocolates like uh, the the obamas get her chocolate like they make these salted caramels and they took us to she took us to their to the factory and it was it was like a it was a clean room yeah where all this chocolate but everything was spotless like the ceilings the walls the floors people were in the in what looked like almost like hazmat Hazmat suits suits. like making this chocolate and seeing it get made was was artistic i mean it wasn't it wasn't what i imagined which is like Oh, like Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. They like they slap it on the thing and throw it in the air. But, like this was this was pristine. Rocky Mountain yeah. Chocolate Factory. You go to a lot of airports, huh? <laughs> I, what else do I do, Matt Meyer? <laughs> Airport food, by the way, will kill you. Oh, I'm I sure. know. Yeah, I don't eat if, if it's inside and if it's inside any kind of security zone, because everything has to be preserved it, for a long period of time, right? So it's full of preservatives. Well, and they also know that you're a captive audience, and yeah. and you're going to do whatever, whatever you got to do. Yeah, you're going to eat the Cinnabon. Oh man, well, I it's not for me. It's just my my. Uh, I I love sandwich. It's funny when I, I went to Europe a couple years ago, and I had a version of a hot ham and cheese sandwich everywhere. So it was like a, it was a baguette or a crepe in, you know, in France. And then in Italy, it was a panini in Switzerland. It was, it was something starch, else. Starch, pig and cheese. Totally. Yeah. 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 Everything a grown boy needs. Three thing. Re- <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I worked with a trainer for the last several years and uh-huh. he always says, look, 
it's a very easy formula. Look at the texture of the food you're putting into your body, and that's probably what it's going to do to you. If you eat doughy, you know, white gooey food, it's going to be gooey on you. If you eat clean, like, you know, skinless chicken or, you know, that's like smooth and tight, then that's probably the effect it's going to have on your body, which I thought was a pretty basic way to approach food. I'm not sure. I got to think about that. No, no. I mean, I... In a way, no, that, that does that does make sense. But then, I mean, there would be rules to any, you know, tofu. You know, what does that do? You know, I mean... It, I don't it, know. And, What's the deal with soy now? Because now are people saying, well, certain kinds of soy are bad for you. I think that's crap. Okay. You know, the, we swing the pendulum. It's like butter, bad, butter, good, eggs, bad... It, 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 there's always somebody that's going to find a way to make something bad. The way I look at it, um, if tofu was really bad, there would be no Japanese people. They'd be gone. <laughs> It'd be an empty island occupied by like some pandas or something. I mean, that would be China. Crazy fun American culture from the fifties. Then there's there wouldn't be you know, know these foods. It's like people. It's like the raw food movement. I love that. Even though mankind was defined by the moment we started applying food fire to food, there's still people that will say that cooked food's bad. Even though. Millions of years of evolution would would speak to you know the opposite, and, right. and the same thing is like tofu. If you eat nothing but that every single day, there might be a problem. Yeah. It's just like you know, if you do, it's like talking about tuna. Okay, well, we have certainly learned that because tuna can harbor some pretty gnarly things. If you eat it each day, every day, three meals a day, there could be some problems. Mm-hmm. But that's true of any food. Sure, be reasonable. Well, especially in the internet culture now, where you know, everyone can get their opinion out into the world. So if someone does a study somewhere and then some news outlet picks it up and then, and it's contrarian in some way, then they're going to, you know, oh, apparently, oh, this thing is not good for you anymore. What, what, what? Well, and then, and then it's always the, it's almost like, it's like watching the old In Search Of shows where they never arrive at a definite answer by the end. You're like, I just need some closure. But they always say, well, some scientists say, yes, this is bad. Other ones say it's not. The Loch Ness Monster. Sometimes big on Bigfoot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, she's out thing. there. Search of was great. Nessie. Search of was fantastic. So I, I don't anything. If it's a food that has been consumed for a gajillion years like that, I'm I am not going to say that that it's bad. Is it better for a culture who's maybe genetically predisposed to it? Okay, I'll I'll go with that. You know, maybe the Scandinavians are better off with you know pickled herring or, or you know smoked herring or something than we might be. But you know, eat a very diet. Um, you know, lay off the stuff that's obviously bad for you and eat your freaking vegetables, just like your grandmother said. Yeah. You know? Not and like you... those uh, vinegar mouths over in Britain. <sighs> they put vinegar on everything. Vinegar has some real strong health. Apple cider vinegar, by the way. Yeah. Unfiltered apple cider vinegar, <laughs> I think, <laughs> probably cures most <laughs> things. Like, it's like, it cures antacid. Yeah. It's good if your throat is sore. It it's... can do a lot of things. Vinegar is, is strong stuff, especially if it's it's unpasteurized, like uh, uh, a lot of apple cider vinegars are. Yeah, it's I absolutely can, true. I drink it sometimes. I just like take a swig. I like vinegary drinks. You know, there's a whole tradition in American history of uh, a kind of drink called a shrub, uh, which is a, a cocktail either with or with alcohol, without alcohol that's uh, uh, based on a fruit juice with vinegar. Mm. Um, and they've they're very refreshing. Um, I in, I live in Georgia and it gets mighty hot, and I actually put. Um, there's a, a brand of hot pickle that we have down there. Well, I will actually just pour the vinegary brine off of the pickle into things and drink it. Mm, I don't want my, no shrubs. I remember my grand... No shrubs? A shrub a is a drink can't get no love. Well, that's that's true. But my, I, uh, my people, going back a few generations, used to drink kraut juice. 
Kraut? Crowd? Kraut. Kraut oh, juice. Oh, kraut, kraut juice. You know, like pickled kraut. Oh, you know, wow. Fermented kraut juice. Oh, God. And they claimed that they yeah. had all kinds yeah. of... Uh, well, that's not bad. Really? Yeah, that's not bad. They would probably say... Chai latte? What the hell? So if I replace the milk with soy milk, is that slightly better or still just as bad? You know what? I've replaced milk. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's funny about that? His face. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for like the thing that's going to save it for me where I don't have to just stop having them. Don't stop having them if you I really have love to. Them. You know what happens is that uh, if Why I do have, you have to? Because if I have one in the morning... I have a sugar crash, and I have to have another one in the afternoon, and then I'm having two a day, and that's too much. It's a bad long-term plan. Two chai- There's so much sugar in them. There's milk sugar. There's sugar sugar. It, they're just, it's just not good. Well, it's basically a soda pop. It is a soda pop. With a fancier name and more expensive. It's so, like, oh, they're like breast milk. Oh, they're so good. No, uh, they're not like breast milk. Like have you had breast milk? milk? No, I'm not at breast milk, but I mean to, I have. to a bit. Interesting tale. Well, when my when my daughter was born, my my wife's not listening, so I, I think I can. Uh, You'll tell be okay with it. Yeah, I uh, um, leaning in. She she produced a lot of milk, my wife, and um, and we had this this pump thing, which you know everybody has now. Uh, I, I guess they give them to you practically. And she produced a lot of milk, and I started stacking up in the refrigerator. And one day, I was kind of like, I wonder if I can make butter out of that. <gasps> Did you? Yeah. Well, there was the ice cream store in London that was making human milk. Yeah, but it's not very good. It's no. just not real tasty so, stuff. So human butter is not good. Not real tasty. I tried uh, making uh, uh, breast milk, uh, butter, uh, cheese, which didn't work very well, and yogurt. And it, it's just not very tasty. There's not enough sugar. It's mostly fat, so it's kind of bland. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're much better with cow. All right. All right, so, I'll go cow. But you know what I did is I replaced uh, milk in my diet with almond milk. Oh, which yeah. Which I find much more satisfactory and, and texturally satisfying than soy milk. I don't like soy milk very much. I like tofu, but I don't like soy milk. I wonder if it's Starbucks. I just started asking them if they could substitute the, the whole milk for human milk. Do you, do you think they would? Say, do you have any lactating baristas here right now? <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> the lactating baristas. What a great band. But uh, they would probably have too many nipple piercings to be of any use <laughs> if it was at Starbucks. <laughs> Am I going to a dark place? Is that okay? Not okay. please, okay. Darker. Not darker. Well, enough. there's a lot of uh, a lot of. Why is it the baristas in America naturally pierce a lot of things on their faces? Why, what is it about it's the, that? It's the culture, it's, I think. It's the culture. It's a tribal of the identification thing. Yeah. It's, it's a sort culture of like the, when you walk into the Apple Store and everyone's got fucking spiked up hair. Yeah. And I thought that was just bad grooming. No, I think yeah. I think it it must have. I think maybe it's a chicken and egg thing that it's. Well, first of all, Starbucks, Seattle, Seattle-based company. So you see a lot of that tattoos and piercings. And then maybe other people from that culture go, oh, that's a place that will hire me with all of my tattoos and piercings. Ah, okay. Now, okay. Now that makes sense. Those are, it, these are my people. Sure. And you can't get a job anywhere else. Maybe. You know, because you've got, you know, expanders in your ears and, you know, your pierced lip. You're not exactly going to get a job at you're a either gonna You're either going to have to work in the entertainment industry or, or at a, a Starbucks or, or a barista. Uh, but Interesting. I think maybe I that's... I thought this through. Right. And if I can't make my hair lay down, I can always get a job at the Apple store. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fine. Go for it. <laughs> and then uh, right. then you get a, a different brightly colored rotating t-shirt. Uh, it doesn't every... rotate anymore. What? They haven't changed. No, the they haven't changed. A year and a half, yeah. Or two years now. <sighs> Everything's... Actually, three. Last time they gave a new shirt out was the uh, iPad, the first iPad. Well, when the iPad mini comes out, are they going to make everyone wear half shirts? I doubt it. That's too bad. It'd be tube tops. Tube yeah. tops. It'd be a tube top. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to make a mini iPad. Well, no yeah, they already did. It's called the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> There's no need for a 7-inch. I don't, yeah, do we need that? I don't, I don't like that stuff. I don't want to call it the iPad mini. I want to call it the iPhone large. 
I'm reviewing today. I'm Maxi. Reviewing the, uh, Maxi phone. Maxi, <laughs> Maxi iPhone. Phone. Yeah, it's the Maxiphone. Maxiphone. I'm reviewing yeah. the Galaxy 10.1 today on Attack of the Show. Yep. The Samsung's big, giant tablet. They're doing great right now. They're doing fantastic. Just handing money over to Apple and... Yeah, it was a one point what billion? One point one billion. They can get up to three. They can get up to three. Eight hundred and eighty-five thousand. If if. But that's still small change for these guys, isn't it? It's this a, level. Not only well, not, not only. Well, yeah. listen, it's a, it's a it's a big chunk of change. They could they could Apple could request up to three billion dollars because they determined that it was a a willful uh, right. <laughs> that it was willful on Samsung's part. It wasn't like, oops. It was right and yeah. and. Um, it, the 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 larger ramifications that it has is that Apple's going to seek to start banning Samsung products, and so it com- that really long term can screw up their you know business. Apple wins the PR thing on this; they just donate that entire chunk to whatever charity they feel like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't they, see they have, that happen. They, they should have, though. They, they have should. like seventy five billion in cash or something yeah. crazy like their that, cash and is and because of this because of this win, their their stock is higher than it's ever been right now. Yeah. Most valuable. Um, Company of all time. Company in, in the world. And you know, I'm really torn about I'm really torn about the decision because part of it part of me feels like, oh, that's bad for the consumer because they're gonna have less choice potentially. But at the same time no, but it's a, it's still a patent. It's still it's a still patent. patent. Yeah, yeah. It's still and, and and I look at myself, I take myself I take the apple out of the situation and I go, listen. Doesn't matter how rich of a company they are, how big of a company they are, they created a thing. This other company ripped it off and knew they were ripping it off. Yeah. Done. And you can't that you can't do that. You shouldn't be able to do that. No. no. So it's it's pretty you know it's pretty cut and dry. So people were like, the American consumers have really lost something. It's like no, all that they lost was that someone ripped off Apple. Samsung can go innovate their own thing. Shocking. <gasps> and then the consumers will have a choice. That's a lot harder though than stealing. Well, just letting it. I know. But now now you're getting into the very sli- the slippery slope of intellectual property, which most people in America don't want to talk about because most people in America still want to take whatever they want no matter who made it and get it for free. Of course. Well, especially now. Every, especially the expectations now are like, well, I don't care. I just I want it for free and I want it whenever I want it. Right. And Damn whoever it. created it shouldn't get anything for it. <laughs> That's right. By golly. Because, but yeah, but that no, guy who I created mean, that thing, shouldn't he be able sometimes to? Sometimes I miss an Iron Chef, I'm not going to lie. And I forgot to DVR it. So I might, I might torrent it. I'm not going to lie. Does it feel Sorry, good Alvin. to say it out loud? Does it feel good to say it out loud? I bought your books. Uh, so if you you, see, that's all I care about <laughs> at the end. If you, if you buy my books and you pay retail for them, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. What sort of sciencey things did you learn from doing this show? Like, what are some of the most amazing science facts that surprised you. I learned how to make an omelet. Thanks. You know, I'm, I'm always surprised by the fact that in the end, when it comes to food, if you can grasp literally maybe 10 scientific tenets, you can do anything. Really? There, there, there are really very few absolute rules that if you grasp them and if you can understand them and use them, you can do so much. If you understand how fats work, how proteins work, how carbohydrates work and what water can do, you're you're almost done. I mean, that that that's really about it. And it's funny that most Americans, if they have a hard time cooking, it's because they refuse to understand heat. <laughs> they refuse to understand. Why is that funny? It's funny. It's well, just a, they it's don't. A simple thing. Even though you know heat is part of the definition of cooking. You yeah. know, the application of heat to food is is what cooking is. I mean, they overcook or undercook? They or? don't understand that it is an ingredient, that it is the, the metamorphosis that happens to food in the cooking process is defined by heat. 
and what heat does and how to properly apply it. There is a big difference between cooking an egg over high heat and cooking an egg over low heat. Why? Because heat does certain things to proteins and how much of it and how fast it, it hits those proteins determines the final result of those proteins. And, and people, that's a big, excuse me, that's a big subject. And that, that, that is a big thing that people have to understand. But in America, we want to set the oven to 350 and call it a day. Or and one of the reasons that it's so tough to teach this to people is that it's very difficult to translate in television because it's like back in the old days, it would be a mom teaching a daughter, okay, feel that pan, that's hot enough. This is the level of heat to cook the biscuits or whatever mm-hmm. else. On TV, how do you see that? You know, how do you, you know, we, we don't all have... Um, you know, um, infrared mo- uh, thermometers at home that we can shoot the surface of pan and say, okay, when the surface of the pan reaches X amount, you're, you're ready to go. It's put this over high heat, and I'm making air quotes here, high heat for three minutes. Well, what the hell is high heat? Right. It's a, it's a word. It doesn't mean anything. And, and so most Americans end up getting into a problem because they haven't reckoned with heat. Now, if we all had um, pans that were black, and uh, we all had infrared thermometers, then we could get a pretty good understanding of what a pan was doing because infrared likes to read a black body. And I actually have this little sheet of metal. Uh, it's like a big washer that's jet black made out of cast iron that I can drop into the middle of any pan, leave it there for a certain amount of time, and shoot it within the infrared to say how hot the pan is. But I can't write recipes that way because then I would have to issue infrared thermometers to the entirety of America. And most Americans just don't want to spend $100 like that. So um, we well, I could. Think it, I think if you better. really cared about this country, you would issue. I would just make them. I would just you would just give them, them out happen. for free. For free. I'll, I'll work on that. Perhaps a grant. Uh, I, I'd be able to, to afford that. Uh, laser, uh, laser-guided uh, infrared thermometers for everybody. So we have the technology, but people don't want to do it. It's right. like we could all be better bakers if everybody just buy a digital scale. Well, and it's also, you know, people, I feel like a lot of people approach cooking, or maybe, I, let me say this way, I approach cooking probably the same way that my dad looks at the internet and why he doesn't get involved with it, where he's like, ah, yeah, it just seems complicated. And so rather than to investigate in any way, it's just like, ah, fuck it all. You know, like I'm not even going to not even going to try. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, cooking actually allows you to feed yourself, which is a statement of self-reliance. It is. I could live the rest of my life without the Internet. It would be really tough to not eat again. No, and you, you would do very well in a zombie apocalypse, I believe. Uh, um, exceptionally I'm one of well. the guys that you want to hang with. I'm extremely well armed. Um, I can forage and I can cook. I think I think sort of learning the principles that you're talking Are you about. Well armed. Uh, I mean, I could he could be with be, guitars. Uh, he's got yeah, like 50 guitars. Not here um, guitar. But uh, you, you, yeah, like a zombie comes in, he's going to get a, a left-handed Dave Matthews edition guitar across the throat. That's that acoustic. Why would I do that? I'd use a Stratocaster or a Telecaster even. The, that's the best one in a zombie. Gibson SG. Nice it's got a nice hook heavy. around on the on the double cut. I have a Gretsch, an electric Gretsch, uh, like a duo jet, like a solid body, or is it like a hollow body? Like a, it's solid. Then it's a duo jet. I wouldn't hit a zombie with that. It's kind of rare. <laughs> well, I'd pluck the, pluck the the low E and then just try to like whip their pluck their head off. Like you bing. can do that. Yeah, because I mean, they're squishy. Assuming, yeah, they're squishy. They're like they're like cooked avocado. Okay. The, the zombies because they're 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 rotting. I yield to you, host of Talking Dead. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but I, I I feel like it's it's sort of like music theory versus just learning a song and where to hit the notes. Like if you understand the basic principles of music theory, then you're all of a sudden speaking the language of music. Whereas these principles you're talking about, if you, if people understood those, then they really would understand the language of cooking. Well, this is the difference between learning a song, learning a recipe and being able to perform it properly and being able to play without someone having written you a song. 
Right. Like I know people that can play every Beatles song, but they can't do put three chords together without music in front of them. Right. I'm talking about the ability to walk up to the the tools of the trade and walk up to a certain amount of ingredients and say, ah, dinner will be ready in half an hour. You know, I've got eggs, I got chicken, I got this, I got this, I got this. Yeah, I know what I can do. Um, and that's that's the difference. You know, learning a recipe, you can do that all day long and follow them and and feed yourself. That's fine. But but I think that there's something to be said for know-how and actually knowing why things work the way they do. Yeah. Well, I, I just I think it's if there's a it, where can people go to where should they go to try to, to learn these principles? Clearly my books. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's seven of them, for God's sake. Buy any one of them, and that'll, that'll work out for you. Um, Is there one in particular that you feel like if... if you know, people, my, my very first book was, uh, was called I'm Just Here for the Food, and it was basically a love letter to heat. It was an investigation of nothing but cooking methods and how, how is a braise different from a roast? What really happens when we fry something? What happens when you just sear something? What happens when you boil something? What happens when you microwave something? And it was all an investigation of heat. And I, so I would say my, that very first book would be the one that I That's would That's an interesting principle. Somebody. That is a really interesting principle that like any of the, like, you know, I, I think before, 19, before 1980, it was just the joy of cooking. <laughs> yeah, which was a great compendium. of It was a songbook. That was the great American songbook of cooking. Right. Uh, here they are. You can play them. Just do what this says. But I think that our generation want to actually understand more about how things work. Yes. And, and we want to be able to make things our own. We want to be able to control. They're customizable. Yeah, we want to customize. You we, know? we want to be able to customize everything because we're very... Um, uh, narcissistic i don't know it just now we feel like everything ha i mean in as much as i say like you know find all those things that define you and then try to figure out how to work in that sure. we, we have become the, the good the good thing is that you know individuals rule now i yes. think um but the downside is now people just expect that that it has to be that way all the time well here's the other thing and this is maybe a masculine point of view um you know it's like my dad could do a bunch of stuff with his hands. Mm -hmm. He knew how to build a sofa. Uh, my grandfather could fix any car, any internal combustion engine. <clears throat> Everyone did something really well with their hands. Personally, I just wasn't raised that way. I wasn't given those tools. However, I can cook from nothing. You know, I, I so I've, everybody needs some know-how. And I think men especially need know-how that they can apply in the physical world. And for me, that just, that happens to be cooking because I didn't get that make a sofa, build a stereo, uh, you know, fix a car. I can't really do those things very well. Um, so for me, it's, it's food. Yeah. Give, give me a dead elk and I will feed you for a month. I'll be I right back. Preserve. Good thing. I'll kill it with my you hands. Can, well, or a Stratocaster. <laughs> I'll kill it with a Stratocaster. Which everybody knows is it gets tangled up in their rack. And, and by killing yeah. it with a Stratocaster, I mean I'll start playing a guitar and I'm not very good. And then the elk will hang itself yeah. to relieve itself from or the displeasure that it's feeling. Or something. Something, yeah. And yeah. then at the bottom of the cliff, you can have a big, big pan. I'll be waiting. Yeah. Just with a big pan. I'll be waiting. <laughs> well, I prefer it fall directly onto a trampoline so that nothing's broken. Uh, you know, we don't want to make a mess of it. And into yeah, like a pool filled with truck. cooking oil. Well, then you're just deep fat frying a an elk, giant elk. What's, and, and what exactly what's the fucking is your problem, problem with that? With that? <laughs> Come on, you know, haven't you been to Wisconsin? I knew there, there was a problem. There are only I'm two sorry. kinds of people that wouldn't like a deep fried elk: <laughs> Nazis and commies. Which one are you? Yeah, I believe that we are all. Come on, terrorists. 
You failed the elk quiz. <laughs> you did. Fair enough. <laughs> you should be ejected. T- TSA should ask that question before you get on a plane. Yeah, just true or false? Fried elk. And <laughs> false. Uh, false. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Airport shuts down. Well, they just all put on their latex gloves. There are a number of ways we can cook this elk. One of them is someone, deep fried. If someone asks you, you deep fried elk, your answer is fuck yes. All right. No, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> fried elk? Let's try it. Fuck fried yeah. elk? Fuck, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, are, you, are you not allowed to talk about the thing you did in San Francisco? I don't think I'm... Okay. Let, let me say this. Um, I, I, I have recent, just finished uh, shooting an episode of a um, science-based show that's filmed in the Bay Area that's <laughs> very popular with geeks. The, let me just say that... Uh, that is a mega mashup that's going to blow people's minds. I think it's a good mashup. We had a very genius very mashup. Good time. You got your audiences are right on top of each other. I think we, we did blow something up, which is important. <laughs> and um, in this science and some based show, mythological approaches to cooking were. Oh, you mean like with a hydra or a kraken? Okay, yeah, a kraken. <laughs> Yeah, which you can also deep fry, by the way. Deep fried, deep fried kraken. kraken. Cooking with Kraken. I would watch the Kraken. Cooking with Kraken. The Kraken's uh, show. That would be great. There's a, uh, a really, really great book called uh, The Minotaur Takes a Cigarette Break, which is about a minotaur who works as a short order cook in North Carolina. You should check that out sometime. Right. For reals? Yeah. That sounds great. awesome. It's a fantastic book. Well, you know, he's immortal. So, so what's he going to do? He ends up being a cook. And then, so we're going to make that, and then this other show, What's Kraken, where we take the Kraken around. What's Kraken? And we cook the Kraken cook. The thing is, once you got a dead Kraken, I mean, you got to act fast, because they rot very, very quickly. They do. So you're going to preserve most of it. And then Pegasus Steaks, I think, would be really good. Some uh, Native American wings. cultures prefer to just... <laughs> yeah, hot wings. Peg, Pegasus wings. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's what you want to lock onto right there. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I had to jump good. on the wing thing, though. That would be yep. Yeah, they have, that at, uh, they have that at Pompeii Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even want to think about what else might be on the menu. At <laughs> it, does, it's, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it was so great to have you on the show. And thank and you on for that note. Pompeii. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Fresh Fries. Um, and you're Alton Brown on Twitter. And uh, and, and also, uh, um, thank you for coming down because you're, you're doing Dork Fork for us with so the, the, the Doctor Who themed episode. Where I cannot wait. I'm wearing a bow tie even. so It looks good. You look good in bow Not everyone looks good in bow ties, but it, it, you it, gotta, it works the well. The thing for about you. wearing a bow tie is you just got to wear the damn thing. Yeah. And if anybody even looks at you freaking sideways, you smack the shit out of them. Yeah. You yeah. and Bill Nye. Really good in bow ties. Yeah, got to do it. Do you know Bill? I've never met him. Oh my gosh! I would like to. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe. He's going to do. People that I'm in awe of, I sometimes don't want to meet. He's going to do it. No, no, he's amazing. Okay. He's yeah, going to he do. A, he's going to do a show for us on our Nerds channel. Excellent. So if you're back in LA, I will. I'll oh. engineer a meetup because he's the super, super sweet guy, and he, I'm sure he would love to show you around the Planetary Society. That would be awesome to several powers. Putting geeks together since 2012. I just started. <laughs> but you could make a whole a whole show out of just putting together certain non-aligned geeks. Geek connectors. Yeah. Yep, right? It's called internet dating. <laughs> it is. Kind of the same thing. That's what we'll do. That's yep. what we'll do. All right. Enjoy. Oh, I feel like you should say enjoy your burrito. What's in your favorite burrito? And then... And then yes, it, I like them simple. I'm like a bean and cheese burrito guy with some chilies. I, I'm, I'm like real stripped down. With burritos. I don't like a lot in there. So just really quickly, before sure. people to enjoy the burrito, quick burrito recipe for something for someone really simple. What 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 do they need? Um beans. Mm-hmm. Black beans all mashed up and cooked down with a little bit of lard if you've got it. 
some cojito uh, cheese, you know, some 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 white Mexican cheese, uh, maybe a, a, a chopped up uh, chipotle chili, mm-hmm. or just a section of that, and some cilantro. And you wrap it up in a flour tortilla and you're done. That's it? Yeah. Hell yeah. That's less than five minutes. <laughs> oh, and a shot of tequila. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that I almost too. forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy that burrito, everyone. Push the button. I can't do Push it. Push the I button. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto Trader.